Can we help diagnose a disease by analyzing your voice? Welcome to another episode of The Future Labs, a podcast series talking to people building the future today. In today's episode, we'll be talking to Ed Kliphaus, Investment Director at M Ventures, the corporate venture capital arm of German Merck. Ed and I met when I worked at M Ventures and have been in touch since then. He has led investments in several companies and is currently a board member in BioLink, Medisafe, Williot and Achille. As a side note, we interviewed Eddie Martucci, the CEO of Achille, in a previous episode of The Future Labs. Our focus for today is a new company Ed just invested in, Sonde Health. It's a new era for voice biomarkers, and I suggest we coin a new term, voice omics. Sonde monitors subtle but characteristic changes in your voice that can accurately reveal important aspects of your health. Stay with us to learn about voice biomarkers, voice features, and Ed's investment thesis regarding sound. Ed, great having you on the podcast. To get started, can you let us know what your group at M-Venture does? What are you looking for? Yeah, sure. Um, so at M-Ventures, we back exceptional science and tech entrepreneurs to deliver outstanding results. Um, we are the investment arm of Merck. Um, as the listeners might know, Merck is one of the Uh, most innovative global science technology companies. And as Ventures, as the investment arm of Merck, we invest through four evergreen funds. Uh, we have a total of 300 million assets as a management, and we invested in over 40 companies to date. So I represent a new businesses fund uh, together with my colleagues, and we invest in areas existing business sectors. The areas of interest for us are, are areas like health tech, uh, food and agricultural technology, as well as distributed data. Um, so we're looking actually for those early stage investments uh, driven by great entrepreneurs with bold ideas that target big problems. Um, so at this point, um, we basically look for opportunities where we find passionate um, uh, individuals because we ourselves are passionate, supportive investors focused on the success for all the stakeholders. Um, I think Joao knows as, as part of, of the team previously with us, uh, we like to be founder friendly investors where we offer portfolio companies proactive support um, and actually uh, find sort of supporting uh, supporting ideas and supporting uh, services in areas beyond just finance. So product development, business development, as well as recruiting, tech, uh, recruiting talent. So with our global network, um, we have a global network across uh, continents uh, where we actually uh, look for, for science technology, uh, giving us access to, to a global Uh, best-in-class platform, and that for us is a very important thing. So at the moment, we have a proven track record of developing transformational science um, and technology and essentially generating a great return on that. Ed tells us then a bit more about his team's most recent investments. We invested in a company like Achille Interactive Labs, uh, where we just closed a uh, 70 million Series C round. Uh, we invested in a company like Williot, where we uh, just closed a 30 million Series B round um, with actually Amazon, Alibaba, Samsung, and Avery Dennison coming on board. And Sond is the latest one in our lineup. So we're very, very happy with all the, the cool stuff we get to play with. Shifting gears towards Sond Health now, how was this company started? Jim Harper, he is um, uh, the person leading the company, actually um, uh, was working with this technology previously at the Lincoln Lab. Uh, the Lincoln Lab is affiliated with the uh, US Ministry of Defense. 
Um, and so the technology has been taken in by PureTech. Uh, PureTech is, um, um, uh, I would say, a company, but also an investor in the sense that they actually seed companies and then ultimately spin them out or sort of nurture them further themselves. We've been working with them in the past in uh, companies like Akili uh, and been looking at opportunities with them. So uh, Sont was nurtured by them um, and ultimately forwarded sort of to a proof of concept uh, where Jim managed showcase technology actually that it worked in depression and that attracted us and also our fellow investors to ultimately come to the closing of the A round. Voice can be a biomarker and there are many parameters that one can measure in the individual components of voice. Ed compares these to measurements of temperature and blood pressure, which ultimately can aid doctors during diagnosis. Ed further explains to us the basic of tracking voice biomarkers and how Sunday combines several parameters to obtain a so-called health measurement. It's a very good question. And, and this is, um, I guess, something that really ties also in why we got excited about this technology. Essentially, the way you should see it is there's two components of this. There's the vocal biomarkers and then there's a disease measure. Now, the vocal biomarkers are the individual components of voice, which are probably best described as, let's say, when you go to the doctor, the doctor takes um, your temperature and your blood pressure. Now, in and of itself, your temperature is not really that telling and neither is your blood pressure. But all these things combined together with the anamnesis of the doctor actually give the doctor insight and give the doctor insight into your current health state as well as potentially any disease that you're, that you're having. That's exactly the same we're doing here. So these individual feature examples, these in, individual vocal biomarkers are things like prosody or melody, which can compose of pitch slope, phone duration, intensity and energy, uh, and other special features. Another one is system, which is basically vocal tract movement. That's a second major component, um, which is, for example, subdivided in things like formant frequencies, male frequencies, and, and, and sexual coefficients. And then the last one, for example, is source. In other words, the, vo the vocal fault dynamics, uh, which can be subdivided again into harmonic to noise ratio, uh, sepstral peak prominence, etc. Now, all these things basically combined um, are, again, individual parameters, which we have um, at this point a model for to weight them. And then ultimately that model and, and that weighting gives a conclusion which we call a health measure. And that's the actionable health information that ultimately can be used by decision makers to come to health outcomes. Thanks for the clear answer, Ed. So how does Sonde correlate different parameters or combinations of parameters with different diseases and how are those further validated? Right. I mean, that's, that's um, maybe that's best answered when we take a bit of a step back. Um, I guess technology has allowed us now to, to, to essentially crunch vast numbers of information and sort of like not only crunch those informational uh, sources and, 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 and these information data points, but actually weigh them um, and, and ultimately interpret them into actionable outcomes. And that's essentially the same we're doing here. So the, the, the sort of customized cloud in infrastructure is not linking one thing in particular to let's say uh, a certain disease, like for example, uh, your temperature rise can be correlated with a number of diseases, but usually it's just correlated with the fact that your immune system is actually having a response and an overdrive. But where that comes from is not necessarily clear. However, when it's combined with a number of other things, you can derive that that is, for example, a certain disease and therefore needs a certain treatment. So to your point of how this is validated, this is validated essentially by taking a very clear um, patient sample 
where, for example, we know that the patients have a certain disorder. We then um, take very uh, clearly curated voice samples. We see uh, what kind of features are correlated with the disease that we have observed in those patients. So that's the feature extraction. We weigh that, and then ultimately that sort of disease measure is tested again in another population to see whether something that prospectively could be telling. And then obviously that will be used again in trials uh, to come to uh, ultimate FDA-approved uh, diagnostic tools. To recap, Sonday uses curated samples from a patient with a known disorder and then extracts or finds a combination of voice features that best correlates with that disorder. This could be thought of as a training set. The parameters are then tested on a new population to see whether there is prospective value. Ed, seems that you don't necessarily need to acquire baseline data for a specific individual because you can just compare it to the baseline extracted from the population data. Is this correct? That's right, and, and that's exactly the beauty of this. So why we believe this technology is so exciting is because it doesn't require a baseline. Um, it is also language agnostic because all the individual features I described are essentially uh, across languages. They're just different components of the way we use our vocal cords. Um, it is actually a real world uh, uh, technology. So we have validating data where seconds of free speech actually on the microphones of cell phone devices. So you don't need to be in a noise isolated room. You don't need to have a high fidelity microphone. You can just use your cell phone. Uh, and lastly, there's a, a very big body of IP uh, and, and let's say uh, protection uh, underlying the technology and, and sort of these individual vocal, uh, vocal biomarkers. One important feature that Ed mentioned is that the technology is language agnostic. We then ask Ed if these voice features are audible to the human ear or not. He goes on to use a pizza analogy to explain further. Well, the individual ones are just the different components of what make up our speech. Um, it is it's difficult to answer this question because, I mean, each, each in, of, in and of itself, you could hear, for example, if you isolate uh, a sub-segment of melody or a sub-segment of vocal tract movement, you could isolate it. But it is the same as, you know, eating a pizza and you're asking me how much salt is in there. Well, there's, there's salty taste in there, but I also taste the spicy of the pepperoni. Um, so it's, it's sort of like the, the, the total mix and mash ultimately gives you the, 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 the conclusion that you want to have. We wondered if there was any way of correlating the underlying cause of the voice features with the disease status, or if this was a certain mix of voice features that created a signature of that disease. Ed lays out the differences between correlation and a causation, and where Sonde currently is. I really like that question, and because it hits on a core thing, I think, with artificial intelligence in healthcare, um, and that is correlation versus causation. Now, what we're doing here is we identify correlation, and that might lead to causation, but I think it is a step too far to say that we're actually um, doing causation here. Um, of course, we, we, we sort of understand at some point, and it's, the, the analogy that always springs to mind for me was the the fact that you know breastfed uh, babies were associated with higher intelligence. And since that was published in data, uh, more people started breastfeeding their babies and ultimately thought that the babies would become the next Einsteins or something. When they actually looked further into the data set, they realized that it was usually higher educated women who would breastfeed their children, therefore breastfed children coming from higher educated women and coming from, let's say, 
a different subsegment of society usually became uh, a higher educated subclass of society themselves. So the correlation was there, but the causation was not. Now here, I think what we what we scratch on is the correlation at first and the causation we we think we know, but there's still work to be done there. So I think it would be a step too far to say that we can identify uh, all kinds of correlation right now. It is definitely something that we're gonna be working on, um, but it is a step too far to say that we can actually directly now pinpoint to what, for example, is a driver in a certain disorder. Most biomarkers to date require some sort of user input or involvement in collecting information. Sunday, like a few other companies, collects data passively. You go about your life and it just analyzes your voice. How do you think this might affect adoption and what are your thoughts regarding privacy? Basically, what we're doing right now is first, we're introducing degrees of freedom gradually as we go along. So the first degree of freedom that we introduce is, as I mentioned, for example, in clinical trials. We know the population, we know the disorder, so it's a simple binary outcome, yes or no. Does our vocal biomarker, does our collection of vocal biomarkers to health measure detect accurately that this population has or has not got the disorder that we're actually looking for? Then the second thing is disease management. That's where you introduce another degree of freedom, right? So you know the indication, but you don't know the population. So in this case, basically, you don't know whether they have it, but you know what you're looking for. Now, the third one is in, when you introduce an infinite amount of, of, of degrees of freedom. You don't know the, 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 the disorder, you don't know the population. And that is actually um, when the question you're asking becomes very important, because right now um, we're sort of benching of something where the correlation is already known, or where, for example, is already known, or where our correlation is something that, that we can easily pinpoint. If you're going into the population-wide screening, however, that's when that question becomes very relevant. And unfortunately, um, I don't think we're there yet, just today, with even the technologies that a, a company like Sonda leverages off, like, for example, microphones in, in cell phones, uh, or even the data set we collected. Not to say that it, not to say that it, that it won't be something that we, we, we cannot achieve, um, but it is definitely something that, that, that is out there for the scale for future development. I think Sonda has got the most elegant setup here um, in terms of protecting data privacy. I mean, mind you, I'm a European and, and Ventures is a European fund. Um, now, what that means is the following. This technology has, um, uh, at this point, the potential to do on-chip processing. So what that means is that basically we, we do the vocal biomarker development, um, of course, in a setting where data will be shared and that's, that's, that's needed. We then do the vocal biomarker interpretation and the uh, development of the uh, disease measures in the same setting. Uh, and we will keep running those trials. But that's the same as a clinical trial where a patient is taking a medication and actually spends his time in the clinic. This is the same, but virtually. Now, the real-world deployment will actually uh, mean that the, uh, uh, the, the, the processing of voice is done on chip. So there's no information sharing to the cloud needed in order to get the information that is required. And that in of itself is sort of like guaranteeing this um, uh, GDPR compliancy and, and making sure that actually this, this technology can be deployed widely. There are a bunch of other companies operating in this space. Ginger.io passively monitors users' data, including movements, call and text patterns. A few others specifically work with voice biomarkers. I'm talking about companies like Beyond Verbal, Peak Profiling and many others. What is the key advantage or differentiation that Sonda provides? 
Yeah, I mean, this is uh, this is going to be a hard question to answer because um, I admire the team at Beyond Verbal tremendously, for example, and I think Yuval and his team do uh, excellent work. Um, in fact, we also looked at them quite uh, quite heavily, and and I'm sure they'll be successful as well. Um, for us, the, the the reason to pursue Sonda is essentially that we believe it's the best in class technology um, with sufficient IP protection on the individual elements of the technology. So those individual um, uh, feature examples that I mentioned before, uh, prosody or melody system or vocal track movements and source or vocal fold dynamics and all these sub-segments, they're IP protected. That's where basically the uh, Lincoln Lab IP lies. Then we have the clinically defined health labels. These are the measurements that you referred to before, which basically is a collection of these little things that we can ultimately link to like a PHQ-9 test, for example, um, which is the, um, the the scale, for example, for depression, um, that is 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 um, a, a knowledge and a know-how um, that is pertained to the Sond Health Team. And then, lastly, it is the implementation of, let's say, the computation, so that machine learning model where the different elements, those different disease outcomes, and those different uh, uh, health labels are weighed to ultimately drive a decision. So. IP, link of IP to disease, and ultimately the outcomes and the way that that is done. So it's, it's, it's IP protected and know-how. And that combined makes that we believe this is the best in class technology. Next, we ask Anne about what indications and applications the technology could be used for. So the, the, the leading indication is depression, major depressive disorder. I mean, we have a proof of concept there. Um, it's, it's actually a proof of concept in more than 4,000 subjects from the US and India. Um, this was a trial which was approved under ethics board review. Um, and based the sample collected was only six seconds of free speech. So no baseline. Um, the sample was collected remotely, cell phone, smartphones. So no site personnel, no lab technologies. And it was just collected by means of an app download. Um, and essentially the performance of Sons technology was on par with the standard. Uh, the gold standard of clinical screening instruments. Now, that means that that is our, 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 our leading indication. And major depressive disorder is a very interesting uh, indication given that it's so much associated with, with, with a lot of chronic diseases. The comorbidity uh, potential here, if we can address that, uh, it's huge. It's basically, our thesis is, is, is in, in our fund is around the improvement of patient outcomes. We believe this is one common denominator that really moves the needle across indications. There are a number of followers though, but they, they are more disease area specific. And for conditions that carry some stigma like depression, how easy or even possible it is to trick or confuse this technology? Right. I mean, there was an 80% true positive rate um, and a below 10% false positive rate. Now, this, this brings us to an existential question, right? And the existential question is, um, what is the cutoff that you need to have for these type of, 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 of technologies in order for it to be economically, but also, um, uh, how would you say that, individually viable? If I'm not depressed and my phone tells me I'm depressed, you know, maybe I'll get depressed. Uh, I, I thought I was fine, and now all of a sudden my phone tells me I'm not fine. Um, <laughs> so that's the, the, that's that's a real thing which we need to find the answer for. Um, and and it's it's fair to say I think we have potential um, uh, answers for that, uh, but there's work to be done there. However, the need for this is 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 far outweighing the potential uh, risk that I just that I just sketched there, and. 
that need is confirmed not only by people who have the disease. Um, to give you an example of a discussion I had with a Dutch health plan, um, they basically say the biggest problem for them is not necessarily the individual patients who suffer from, from, from depression and therefore from loss of productivity. It is actually the caregivers. If they can address the problem with the caregivers and basically can get them support, not across the board, but just at the moment when it matters, which this technology does, right? I mean, for the first time in history, instead of meeting John when he is okay and then meeting John when he dropped off the cliff being fully depressed, we now can pinpoint perhaps when John might fall off that cliff and then get him in and see if we can actually help him. That in and of itself is a fantastic driver for a lot of people to say, we, we really need a technology like this. Again, there's work to be done there. The FDA has given feedback in pre-submission meetings that the, um, uh, the results in the current trial are encouraging and, and, and on par at least to open a clinical trajectory. Uh, but there's still work to be done there to see uh, how far we can get and, and how specific and accurate we can get this test. We followed up with Ed regarding the business model for Sunday. How will it fit in the current healthcare landscape? Will this be a consumer health play or a prescribed diagnostic tool? We have to be careful right now to not pigeonhole ourselves into one way or another. Um, of course, we invest with a vision, but as you well know, um, your vision might also change as your investment furthers. Our, our, our current view on this is to basically gradually introduce those, those degrees of freedom as I sketched before. So ultimately, first in clinical trials, um, and then as a disease management solution, and hopefully ultimately as a population-wide screen. The risk that a population-wide screen brings with itself is indeed that a false positive is going to be much more harmful. Whereas in a, in a, in a disease management set, uh, setting or clinical trial setting, those false positives are much less harmful. Um, and actually the benefit of finding um, the, the true positives, um, that, is, that, is, that is much more important than, than those things because of the uh, the impact it has on outcomes of medication. Would you be concerned if your mobile device were listening to you frequently to understand whether or not you're developing a certain disease? Even after Ed clarified that data processing is done locally and no data is transferred from your local device, we thought this could be a concern and ask Ed about it. Yeah, and, and this is again a very fair uh, argument and a very fair comment um, and I think I think a lot of people are worried about that and I think they should also be worried about it uh, if the architecture of these type of things is not done correctly so that's why the architecture that's being proposed here is for example along the lines of you know Google Alexa um, uh, have done it in, in in other words if you have your Alexa at home there's one chip that basically only looks for the word Alexa and when it says when it hears hey Alexa it switches on the second chip which then listens to the voice command. So it is continuously listening, but only for that word Alexa and not for anything else. This architecture is gonna be the same. Um, we, we listen only for a snippet um, that basically is telling for, uh, for, for, for the processor of let's say uh, uh, of, of MDD, major depressive disorder, of multiple sclerosis, of anything else. When recognized, then the other chip switches on, which then takes sample for a number of seconds processes that and then provides an actionable output. So it is not the case that it's continuously listening, continuously listening is basically just looking for that snippet and only when that snippet is heard, it switches on the actual processing part of the chip. You mentioned Google and Amazon. 
Do you have an idea what their take is on these type of technologies with applications in human health? Yeah, I think uh, it's a very hot space and, and, and they have confirmed it, right? I mean, um, Amazon has just filed a, um, uh, a number of, um, of patent uh, filings for a full system uh, running on, for example, Alexa in order to drive health outcomes. Um, and as far as we know, there's a, a, a few other players who are in the works here. Uh, and we believe it's a great opportunity for a company like Sond. I mean, if you have this, this level of sophistication, you have this amount of data and you can crunch it to actually drive these outcomes, that's what these companies are looking for at some point. So either as a client or, or who knows what down, down the line. But we believe it's definitely a space and it's been confirmed by the activity we've seen. So when can we expect a working solution for Sond? We're going through the clinic now. So the plan is basically to have the first, um, the first test as a cluster medical device approved uh, by the end of 2020. Um, and then of course, um, you know, a number of followers after that. So touch wood, uh, hopefully the end of 2020, but there might of course be, you know, some delays or some other things. The FDA changes regulation. There's, there's also changes on, on that level ongoing, but that's the goal. Ed mentioned before that the main indication Sonde was pursuing was major depression. We next asked Ed, how far can we go using vocal biomarkers? Are these equally applicable in psychiatric versus other diseases? What other indications could be pursued? I mean, the first indications, of course, that one thinks of when you think of voice is pulmonary indications. Uh, breathing, um, something to do directly with the vocal tract. Um, but we've seen correlations as far as, you know, um, uh, even metabolic diseases, uh, autoimmune diseases. Uh, there's, the, the, there's, there's a large number of uh, um, potential diseases that we think we can correlate. Now, that's not to say that there might be, uh, let's say, a frontier to this, uh, and that's also expected. So I think there's a lot of white space to still discover and to still grab. Um, and at some point, we'll hit somewhere where, we, where we're like, well, you know, this is, this is where, this is as far as we can go, and we can't correlate more to voice. That's possible. Ed, do you think there could be applications not related to healthcare? So, like what? What are you thinking? I don't know, something along the lines of understanding if someone is lying or if someone is likely to commit a crime. I understand this might sound like a very dystopian and science fiction scenario. Ooh, I don't know that. Um, I mean, I'm, <laughs> I, I, I read a lot of dystopian books because, you know, you or I, we find ourselves on the cusp of innovation and a lot of what we do has a dystopian dark side to it. Um, and so it's sort of that cautionary tale that you find in books like in 1984. Exactly. There's always a good side and a bad side. That's right. Or a we or an anthem. Now, the, the, there's of course that. And, and I think actually we, we fulfill that very pivotal and important role in our ecosystem to sort of drive this discussion. Because it is up to us to actually, you know, expose these technologies in for the good that they are, but also for the bad that they can be and have that discussion to make sure that we, you know, prevent any... Uh, and any use in a way that, that potentially isn't desired. Now, again, I haven't seen evidence with this technology that it can be used for, for example, lie detection or whatever. But, you know, it's not unreasonable to think that voice can be used for those kind of things. Um, and, and, and that's certainly something to keep in mind. Ed, imagine a world 20 years from now. How do you see the future of vocal biomarkers then? Oof, um, I hope it will be integrated in most of our systems because we envision a world where we're basically going to a... Uh, a zero UI uh, type world. So you won't have your phone anymore. Um, there will maybe be a little device in your ear that will listen to your voice commands that will project something on your smart lens. 
Um, so as part of that, an integration into uh, your health outcomes is not unthinkable. If you're diagnosed with, for example, high blood pressure, um, that your assistant um, uh, keeps track of your voice and basically by that keeps track of vital signs, maybe combines it in, together with, let's say, pupil dilation, eye tracking, eye movement, and ultimately that drives for you decision-making and longevity. Um, we believe in it in a, in a, in a, in a very positive way um, that ultimately this, you know, these type of technologies, and not this as a singular one, but hopefully combined with a flurry of other technologies actually help longevity and, and, and let's say increased productivity. Where can our listeners learn more about Sona Health and M Ventures? Always feel free to reach out to me. Um, you, can, uh, you can find my details on our website. That's www.m-ventures.com um, or just send me an email. My first name, dot last name at m-ventures.com. Uh, with regards to Sond, there is a test app in the in the app store that we used for some of our clinical um, uh, development. And otherwise, just go online, Sonda Health. Uh, it's the first hit on Google. Um, or just reach out to me and I'll be, I'll be happy to put you in touch with the team. Thank you for the great conversation today, Ed. Well, thanks for this. I mean, I, I've been listening to some of your, uh, your previous podcasts and I think you have uh, some very cool and exciting technologies on there. Um, hopefully, we, um, you know, when, we, when we get a little bit further in the clinic, uh, you'll get to speak to some of the other guys and we can, um, we can implement real-time real the, the technology and see um, if there's any actionable health outcome we should take after the podcast. We should definitely do that. I think it could be the first time we diagnose someone during the recording of a podcast. An historical moment for sure. <laughs> Fantastic. I want to include a special thank you to labbiotech.eu for choosing the Future Labs as one of the top 10 biotech podcasts to listen to this spring. It feels great to be next to some of the best and most influential biotech podcasts. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Future Labs. Today we talked to Ed Kleephaus and learned about Sone Health and the broad space of vocal biomarkers. Perhaps we'll be using a lot more voice and other passive ways of monitoring people's health. Head to thefuturelabs.com for more information and stay updated by following us on LinkedIn, Twitter and Facebook. Our music was composed by David Ibbett and performed by Sofia Sobaya Vastek. Thank you for listening to another episode and join us again in a few weeks.